Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Taking Your Next Step podcast from Collegians for Christ. Through each episode, we will journey together focusing on knowing what you believe and why you believe it. If you are eager, like I am, to strengthen your faith, then take your next step now by joining us in today's episode. There should be a change in a person's life after a person is called on Jesus Christ to save them. Yes, there should be a noticeable difference both inside and out. Why should there be a change? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 uh, gives us the insight of why there should be a change. One, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not watch this. Henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. You say, why should there be a change in a person's life? We are no longer to live for ourselves. You see, that's our first motive. That's our first go-to uh, in life. That's called self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is selfish, but that's kind of the sinful way that we're wired. You see, we want to live for self, not for somebody else, but the fact that we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we're taking our next step to be a better follower of Him means we're no longer to live for ourselves. And that is a great act of surrender. But we should live for Jesus. Why? Because He died for us. And that love that He demonstrated to you and I, that's what constrains us. It's what pulls us. It's what motivates us. Then he goes on to say, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You see, we're a newly made creature. That's new as opposed to old. Better because different. You see, the Holy Spirit gives believers a new life. They are not the same anymore. As we pick back up in 1 Peter chapter 4, he will begin very practically speaking, talking about this, this changed life. First of all, he's going to tell us the reason for a changed life. He says, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind that he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That idea of cease from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So here, Jesus Christ suffered for you because of this believers are to what? Arm yourselves. Now, this is an interesting word. The word arm yourself is a military term. It means to prepare oneself for work. It means to equip yourself with weapons. Now, what are these believers to arm themselves with? Well, it is the same mind. What do you mean the same mind? It's the same mind that Christ had to do the will of the Father and not his own. Remember in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. Here we're talking about there should be a change in our life because of Jesus Christ. There should be a change both on the outside. Peter's been covering very practically the outward living of our life and our business life, how we're to live honest and ethical as we obey the laws, as we do business, as, as we go to class. All these different areas are very, very important because it is the hope that you and I possess being demonstrated to a hopeless world. And he comes here and says there should be a reason for a changed life, and that reason is Christ has suffered for you. And because he suffered for you, arm yourselves with that same mind, the willingness to suffer. You see, it's the same attitude that Jesus had towards suffering. Now, Warren Wearsby said it this way, Our attitudes are weapons, and weak or wrong attitudes will lead us to defeat. 
Outlook determines outcome, and a believer must have the right attitudes if he is to live a right life. So what is our weapon here? He says our attitudes. And it's so true, our perspective, how you and I view and approach situations via our attitude is so important. A weak or a wrong attitude will lead to defeat. A positive uh, or a strong uh, attitude can lead to what? To victory. You see, our outlook determines our outcome. What is our outlook? What do we see beyond? Some people, all they can see is the negative. All they can see is what they do not get. The glass half empty. Other people with the same situation see what? They see beyond and they see the hope that's there. They see what they have in Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They see the glasses half full. Not that I have to do this, but I get to do this. You see, there's a total difference. When you look at situations and you say, look, I get to do this versus, man, I have to do this. You see, those who are armed like this will have an unswerving resolve to do God's will despite any circumstances or persecution that come in your life. The reason for the changed life is Jesus Christ suffered for you. But not only did he suffer for you, but he gave us this example that he ceased from sin. You see, our goal in life as a believer is to cease from sin. That is the idea of to stop, to sin no longer. Now, we understand we cannot achieve sinless perfection because we always have the flesh. Paul wrote much about the warring that goes on between the flesh and the spirit and how these are contrary one to the other. What does that mean? There's an internal struggle that you and I face every single day of our lives. You have faced that internal struggle already today where you've had to make a decision whether to follow the flesh or to follow the spirit. You've tripped and you stumbled and you've sinned. And I think one of the problems that I would say sometimes us as Christians have is because we compare ourselves with the rest of the world. We say, well, I'm not doing this. I'm not murdering or raping. I'm not breaking in businesses. I'm, I'm not stealing money. I'm not doing business dirty. Uh, I'm not out there drinking and drugging and, and partying. I'm not living. So I don't really have sin in my life. That is a very dangerous place to be because you understand sins are not just all outward behaviors. Jesus pinpointed the religious Pharisees for the inward, hidden sins of the heart. If you've looked on a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. It's no different. If you've hated that person, you've already done what? You've murdered that person. If you look at that and say, man, I wish I had that. I, w- I can't believe they get that. You're doing what? You're, you're jealous. You're coveting. Well, I, I'm better than they are. That's already the sin of pride. And I think one of the hardest things is, is many times Christians feel like they don't have sin. They can look back over their last week and go, well, I don't really see any sin in my life. That is a dangerous place because you and I are dark and wicked. Your heart is desperately wicked and no man can know it. You and I are rotten with sin. And many times it's pride, it's jealousy, it's the lack of doing God's will. And if you'll begin to examine into your life and your heart, you'll realize just how wicked and sinful your heart is. And that's a good place for us to be. You see, Jesus Christ ceased from sin. Sometimes Christians think, well, I don't need to cease from sin. I'm already sinless. No, check your heart. May I check my heart? But if we're going to have this changed life, we have to have a militant attitude towards sin. That's what Peter's getting at here. Arm yourself likewise with the same mind. 
For he that suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We have, must have a militant attitude towards sin. Why is that? Because sin is dangerous. Sin will destroy us. There's pleasure in sin for a moment. It's very easy for you and I to get accustomed to sin in our lives, many times even without noticing it. So we must have an attitude of hate and opposition towards sin, just like a military unit would have towards its opponent. You and I must have that militant attitude towards sin where it's a uh, zero-tolerance zone. We sometimes get, well, it's just my besetting sin. I've asked for forgiveness, asked for forgiveness, and I just can't quite get victory. So that one I'm just going to push to the side. No, that's not what our example is. Jesus ceased from sin, so you and I strive to do that. But also we understand suffering can help remove sin in our lives. It's amazing to understand that. Peter does not say that suffering by itself can help us cease from sin, You saw Pharaoh back in the Old Testament when the plagues came, the ten plagues. Each one, he would keep sinning against God until the last and final one. Peter does say, though, that suffering plus Jesus Christ in our lives can help us have victory over sin. Now, how on earth can suffering help remove sin in our lives? You see, it was Jesus' suffering that made him victorious over Satan. Think about that. It was suffering that gave him the victory. You see, it's suffering in the believer's life that can help strengthen their faith. It's suffering that does what? It removes sin because it breaks down pride. It makes us be uh, dependent upon ourselves and forces us to be dependent upon God. It brings in humility. You see, God uses suffering to direct our eyes off ourselves and put them on Him to realize what is truly important in life, not the possessions, the money, the the fame, uh, the achievements. But him, family, memories, your legacy, your influence, your discipleship, your willingness to share the gospel. You see, it's suffering that can help strengthen our faith to help produce obedience that in turn will help us to stop from sinning. It's hard to do, but we must look at suffering as a blessing. And so we see the reason for a changed life. And now secondly, we see the result of a changed life. Verses 2 through 6 tell us that. He says in verse 3, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in these sins, lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not within to the same excess of right, speaking evil of you, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. For to this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead that they might be judged according to the flesh. And so here we see the result of a changed life is living your life to the will of God. There is a decision that you have to make, and it involves two options. Live to the will of God, or in our passage here, live to the will of the Gentiles. Now, what does it mean to live to the will of the Gentiles? We understand God has a will for our life, but guess what? Satan also has a will for your life. If God has a mate for you to marry, you best believe Satan has one for you to marry. If God has a job for you, you best believe Satan has one for you. You see, Satan has a path, and his path leads to destruction. God has a path, and that path leads to uh, everlasting life and fulfillment. So as we consider the will of the Gentiles, Peter lists six sins as identifiers of the will of the Gentiles. We can go down and look at these briefly. He says lasciviousness and lust. Now, I know lasciviousness is not a word we toss around in our normal daily conversation, but it has this idea of sexual excess. It's the absence of restraint. 
in correlation to sexual sin. So if you put it in today's terms, it's just immorality or open and excessive indulgence in sexual sins. And so this is the will of the Gentiles. This is uh, living not to the will of God, but to what the world does. And it says excess of wine. That just means drinking and getting drunk. Then it says reveling. This means to literally let loose. Uh, maybe you've heard of people going to a party or doing this, and they they let loose. They just let their hair down, and they they just uh, just have fun is what sometimes they refer to. But we understand when you are engaging in drinking and getting drunk, many times that leads to this letting loose. Uh, that reveling also means riotous behavior. Uh, behavior that is out of control, that is uh, destructive. And then it says banquetings. Now, when we hear that word, we have to be careful there because we can think of maybe a uh, a banquet after a wedding or a banquet for a family reunion or something of that nature. Uh, but banquet means a drinking match. It means wild parties. It literally is like bars, clubs, strip clubs, uh, nightclubs, this type of idea where what is going on? There is reveling going on. There is excess of wine and there is lust and lasciviousness. All that goes hand in hand, but this banqueting being that key location where all of it comes together. And then it says abominable idolatries. That's putting everything before God or a total denial of God in all aspects of life. Now, these are sins that we should not do nor fellowship with. And for some of you that are listening, you uh, you can remember when you did these things, when you had that lifestyle that was full of lust and drinking and uh, the riotous behavior, the partying, the, dr- the drinking, the drugging, the going to the strip clubs and different things. Things like that. That's living to the will of the Gentiles. But we're to live to the will of God, and that is a result of a changed life. And so it's so important that there is a difference in who you are were then to who you are now. And some people say, Well, I didn't do all those things. That's not a problem. You still have your story, and there still is a difference in the desires, in the heart, in the spirit. You see, maybe you didn't have the sins that were so outward to be out drinking and drugging and partying, but you still had sins that were inward. You still lied. You still lusted. You still had pride. You still struggle with all these things. Uh, what does it mean to live to the will of God? It means we live to be holy. It means we live to be righteous. We live for God. First Peter 1 Peter 1.15-16 uh, tells us, uh, but as he that which... But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. If I could put a line in the sand, if I could put, give you a line of demarcation between the will of God and the will of the Gentiles, is this, is sin and holiness. It's righteousness with sinfulness. It's the fruits of the Spirit with the fruits of the flesh. You see, our daily life as believers should be holy, should be righteous, should be lived by the fruit of the Spirit. And if we're living to the will of the Gentiles, it's going to be full of these sins, putting everything before God, abominable idolatries. And you think about career. You think about people who maybe are not involved in the drinking, drugging, and the the reveling, the letting loose, and the parties and all that. But you still know people who are not living to the will of God. Where, What category do they fall in? The abominable idolatries. And notice that word abominable is powerful in Scripture. God detests it. And God detests anything that puts 
uh, itself or we put before God or takes the place of God. And so many times it's career, so many times it's a sport, so many times it's our own desires, our own pleasure, entertainment, whatever it is, it falls in the same category. And so here we are to live our life to the will of God. And then we see we're to live your life or my life in front of the world. And this is where the application comes in. Notice in the bottom of our passage here in 1 Peter chapter uh, number 4, we'll look at verse number 6. It says this, it says, For, for, for this cause uh, was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Uh, I need to back up. I'm sorry. It's verse number four. I was wondering where my thought was going to here. It says, wherein they think it strange that run that you run not with them to the same excess of right speaking evil of you. So here's the difference. Somebody has partaken in the will of the Gentiles. They get saved, they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and their life begins to change. For some people, it's quick. It's it's powerful. For some people, it's a journey. You know, for me, it took me a year to get my life cleaned up to even begin kind of getting on the right path. And so everybody's journey and story is different. But the bottom line is there should be a different why there is a reason for the changed life because of what Christ has done for for us, and there's a result of the changed life, and how you and I live our life in front of the world will have a powerful impact. It says they think it not strange. So these people are going to look at you and going to say something's wrong with him or her. Why are you not over here? Well, that changed life did this. It produced new desires, new motives, and new behaviors. And this, uh, Peter says, a changed life will speak to them. What will a changed life say to others? Notice what friends and others will say. Old friends will wonder, what happened? What on earth happened to them? They're different. They're, they're, they're doing things different. They're behaving different. Their desires are different. They're talking different. They're acting different. Others will wonder why you won't participate with them. Why won't you come and do this anymore? Why won't you come hang out? Why won't you come drink? Why won't you come crack open a cold? Why won't you come and party? Why won't you go to the nightclub with me anymore? Why won't you come over here and hit this and smoke this? Why will you not do this anymore? Because there's been a change in your life that moves you from the will of the Gentiles to a desire to move to the will of God. And it says here in our passage that they will speak evil of you for doing the right thing. Absolutely. Yes, because you know what will happen? Your changed life will cast judgment on them. You don't even have to say a word. I remember experiencing this as my life changed. I began to walk away from a lot of the the things of my past, of uh, dealing drugs and the party and that whole lifestyle. And me just walking away and not participating anymore, not willing to go there and do that anymore. I didn't even have to say, hey, you're wrong. And, you know, me just not participating, they said, what, you think you're better than us? You think you're, you're, you've got it all together? You, and, and they began to speak evil of you. There's nothing different with you. You've done all these things. Who do you think you are? By your actions, they will think you are judging them, feeling better than them, and being closed-minded, and they will in turn judge you. You see, the unsaved may judge the believer, but Peter says one day God will judge the unsaved. And what do we learn most importantly here? We must be patient toward the lost. Because many times they don't know. They're blindly following Satan. Their conscience is telling them it's wrong, but maybe they've not received the gospel. They've not received the transformation uh, inside that you have received. And so you and I need to be very, very patient towards the lost and not get that high-minded, holier-than-thou attitude that the Pharisees had, looking down on the people. How dare your master eat with sinners and publicans? 
Here was Jesus trying to share compassion with them, trying to lead them. So the changed life is a what is a testimony against the world. And sometimes people will not hear a word that you say, but they will listen to what your life says. And so how you live your life in this world is absolutely extremely important. Our life preaches a message to those around us that many times they will not hear what our mouths will say. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.